0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy Free Agent Day, everyone. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, the first of what I'm referring to affectionately as Micropod Monday. I've never done this before, but my thought is that because news comes in these chunks, there are a couple of ways we could attack it. Way number one, which is the way I've generally done this in the past, is to try to talk about everything all in one podcast. And unfortunately, inevitably, with that method, something gets left out or the podcast gets ridiculously long or a combination of both. Sometimes there's too much. The third, I guess, thing that could happen in that scenario is that it you don't do a podcast that's like 85 to 100 minutes and instead you end up stretching things over a few days and then it's just not that Uh up to date anymore you're doing a show about something that happened a day and a half ago and at free agency that's too long so in my infinite wisdom i decided to try the micropod the micropod meaning i'm gonna do probably a few shows about free agency and when they come out is entirely up to me i'm gonna do one now which is about 3 30 pacific time as I'm recording it, we're half an hour into free agency, and I'll probably do another one later on today, if I had to guess. So without further ado, welcome to the show. I am your host, Dan Bespris. I hope some of you are finding this for the first time. That would be awesome. And if that's the case, then I'll definitely do more of these micropods on big days in the future. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website at Dan Vespers on Twitter D A N B E S B R I S at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter if you want to follow uh, the various HoopBall-y things, all the fantasy stuff. In fact, all of these deals as they're going down are getting tweeted out of the Hoopball Fantasy bucket as well. So that's a nice way to sort of keep tabs on everything that's going on. Um If you enjoy these micropods, please take a moment to drop a five-star review on the podcast, subscribe to it. This is, uh, we'll be talking fantasy basketball every day, all year long, all season long. We go off season, in season, whatever. Many of you, of course, have listened to this podcast for a very long time, but hopefully this is a cool way to bring in a handful of new listeners. Again, that is Dan Bespris on Twitter. Let's rock. Free Agency opened, again, about 35-ish minutes ago, and the big piece of news that fell out of the sky basically the moment free agency cracked is that Lonzo Ball agreed to a four year deal with the Chicago Bulls as part of a sign and trade that sent Garrett Temple and Tomas Sodoransky back to the New Orleans Pelicans which is not not a haul. I mean and I think a second round pick so effectively the Pels got a second round pick, and I don't mean to knock Satoransky because we've actually been sort of on that train on on the fantasy side a few times in the past when he gets nice full starters minutes, he can be a relatively useful nine cat guy. But he's not a building block for the Pels. It's not even it's not even in the vicinity. And then Garrett Temple isn't a building block for the Pels, so they they really didn't get like you think about sign and trades in recent memory you often are looking for the team getting something back to be, yeah, you might get some contracts. Maybe you don't want those because you got to match with the, the player that you signed and then sent away. But there's usually some sort of pick incentive and a, a second rounder is basically what you're getting for Lonzo ball at this point. That's pretty awful. That's nothing. <sighs> Deep breath. Pels fans. Um, uh, I, I hopefully something will break your way here in the not too distant future. I do like that you guys got Jonas Valanciunas. I think you I think you generally won that trade out. But this one, we knew Lonzo Wall wanted out. The Pels were just trying to get something. And you have to, if you're a Pels fan, you have to look at it from that perspective. You got something. From a fantasy standpoint, this is actually a pretty cool trade on a number of fronts we'll go back and we we've already covered the Pelicans in one of our team breakdowns this offseason we and we handicapped them on the notion that Lonzo would be back even though we kind of knew that he, he probably wasn't going to be but what this does in New Orleans is you bring in two guys that are not key pieces of the future and you clear out room for guys that are so JV's going to be in the middle. Brandon Ingram, Zion, those, that's your front court. The front court is locked in. Everything is cool over there. The back court was where things were a little bit, I don't say up in the air, but the two starting back court guys on this team for this basically this entire just completed season are gone now because Eric Bledsoe went to Memphis, and he's probably going to get bought out over there, and Lonzo Ball now went to Chicago. And what I said many times during this most recent season on the fantasy side is that if you wanted Nikhil Alexander-Walker or Kira Lewis, but I think most notably uh, Na, we'll just call him Na, because, you know, na Alexander-Walker, if you wanted him to step into fantasy value, he needed two or even three guys to get out of his way. And he may end up having four guys stepping out of his way. I could argue that last season, J.J. Redick, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, and Eric Bledsoe were all in front of Nikhil Alexander-Walker in the team's guard pecking order. And there's a little bit of fuzziness to that. Like, maybe you could argue that he was sort of on par with Redick or Hart, and then Redick got traded. And maybe he was on par with Hart as the season went along. But now, I don't know how you argue that he's behind any of the guards on this team. Sadoransky should be behind him for a young team sort of growing together. You'll see Saddle play. He's going to be a veteran, calming presence. And I don't know how you say he's behind Garrett Temple, who just came in. In fact, you could probably make a reasonable argument that the only guy who might move in front of Nikhil Alexander-Walker in the guard pecking order on this team is kira lewis who was already there so this then brings us to the other part of this equation part number one is does someone now have a massive opportunity the answer to that question is a resounding yes the second part is is does the fantasy game translate in a way that makes enough sense And the answer to that question is a little bit less clear because you're going to see starters' minutes out of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But last year, in 22 minutes a game, he averaged 11 points, 3 boards, 2 assists, 1.7 threes, and a steal on 42% from the field and 73% at the free throw line. That's a problem. In points leagues, he's geared up to be a massive winner. Because you don't care about those two things. In category leagues, it's a little bit less obvious. Because even now, moving Lonzo out of the way, moving Eric Bledsoe out of the way, moving uh, Josh Hart, who I I guess there's a chance that he could be back, he's a free agent, out of the way. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity that just surfaced. Because Ball played 32 minutes a game this year. Hart, 29 minutes a game this last year. Bledsoe, 30 They basically cleared out 30 minutes of backcourt stuff and brought in only Sato and Garrett Temple. Sorry, 90. Brought in only two guys to take them. And those two guys are not taking starters' minutes anyway. So the minutes are going to be there. That's not a question mark. The question mark is, what does it look like with Alexander Walker, as a starter, not getting... A boatload of shots. Certainly a lot more. Is there a stretches this last year where he jumped into a driver's seat. Like, remember the game in... I think it was in uh, Golden State. Wasn't it a Golden State game? Where Alexander Walker had, like, 40? Where the hell is that one? Or was it the Clippers? It was the Clippers. It was in California. That's as far as I got on that one. It was the Clippers. He had 37 points uh, and 8 rebounds and really not much else, unfortunately, in that ball game. But I think it was also worth noting... Who had to be gone for that to take place for him? Ingram was in, Hart was in, Reddick was in, Zion, Lonzo, uh, Bledsoe were all out in that ball game. There is uh, a finite number of shot attempts that a team's going to get in a ball game and it's pretty safe to say Brandon Ingram is still going to get his 17 or 18 and Zion's still going to get his 17 or 18. Lonzo 13 out. Hart 7 out. Bledsoe 10 out. That's a what did I what did I just give you about? 30 shots on the way out. Walker took 10, Alexander Walker, sorry, took 10 shots a game this last year. Of the 30 shots that just went away for this team, oh, Steven Adams, five out, but JV's going to take probably a dozen. So call it more like a net 23 instead of 30 or something like that, maybe even a little bit less. There's going to be a lot of spreading around that goes on here. Kira Lewis is going to get some. Najee Marshall is going to get some. Uh, Ingram and Zion are probably going to get more. JV's going to get a decent chunk of shots on this team. Alexander Walker... What are we thinking? 14? Is that enough based on his current efficiency level? Will the assists go up enough? Will the three-pointers go up enough? I don't think that in a nine-cat situation, this is as easy a guarantee as I'm betting a lot of fantasy analysts are going to tell you. Make no mistake, this is a very good day for Nikhil Alexander-Walker's overall outlook. Because he's probably going to play seven or eight minutes more per game this coming year than last season. I would also hope that in year number three, his field goal and free throw percent both go up. I don't know if that's going to happen. I certainly hope on the free throw side, 73% is not where this dude's going to stick. So that removes one of the pretty good sized negatives for him, although he didn't take that many anyway. But he will. He'll have more this next season. I would also hope that the steals stay strong for him. Uh, Lonzo had about one and a half per game. Alexander Walker, you get him up to Lonzo-level minutes, maybe he too can get near one and a half per ballgame. But there's just... There are a lot of things about his game that worry me. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't assist all that well. As and Again, Ingram and Zion are going to be the guys that orchestrate for the most part. Kira Lewis, if he's out there, is more the point guard, and Alexander Walker is more the shooting guard in that group. And I've talked a, m- a lot on these pods about how hard it is to be a shooting guard that translates into top-level fantasy value if you're not the primary ball handler. If you're the primary ball handler, you throw it all out the window. You're not even really a shooting guard anymore. You're a glorified scoring point guard. But if you look at most of the like, mid-tier shooting guards in the NBA, they struggle to hold fantasy value. There needs to be something special about them. Big-time free throw percent, big-time three-pointers, something to get them over the hump. Otherwise, you end up in this massive, like, 90 to 150-rank bucket of shooting guards that can't clear the threshold. Kevin Herter is, like, the premier example of a shooting guard who is okay at a lot of things, but isn't the primary ball handler, so can't quite get over that hump. Nikhil Alexander-Walker could very easily turn into Kevin Herter this coming year. With uh, worse field goal percent, higher turnovers, worse free throw percent, and better scoring and steals, maybe? But, like, Herter was 115, so how different do we think Alexander Walker becomes? If he can get his percentages up to Herder level, which is 43 from the field, 78 at the free throw line, I think he'll have enough usage on that team to be better than Herder was on a per-game basis, which again was 115. And I know I'm going deep into the weeds on this one, but a lot of you guys are going to be targeting to kill Alexander Walker on draft day, and I find it hard to see him getting above top 80 uh, on a per-game basis. I just, I, I don't see a clear path to it unless he's suddenly racking up assists in a way that he hasn't in the time he's had on the floor so far in his young career. And that can change, because no Lonzo, no Bledsoe, means he's going to have to do some passing, but Ingram and Zion are still going to be the primary initiators on that team, and then even JV a little bit. On the other side, this is a trade that sends Lonzo Ball to Chicago, where he's actually not in that dissimilar of a role to what he had in new orleans uh lonzo by all accounts actually had a pretty good year from a strict per game standpoint he was number 48 on the year 15 points five boards six assists one and a half steals half a block three three pointers fixed his free throw percent up to uh, palatable levels got his field goal percent up to uh slightly sub palatable levels but you can handle them because of all the other stuff he was doing as the third option on a middling team. He goes to another club where he's now the third option on a middling team. Behind Zach Levine, behind uh, Nikola Vucevic, two guys that are going to see similar usage to Ingram and Zion, maybe even a tiny bit higher. But Lonzo's role is pretty well locked in. Um, The Bulls' other stuff going on I don't think challenges him all that much for role, for playing time, whatever. And so... I. Like, I think you're looking at Alonzo where you're you're making roughly the same handicap, probably about a dozen shots per ball game. And you can do the comparison on this one if you'd like. It's not all that insane to look at it. Vooch took 20 shots a game this year, although a lot of that was with Orlando, and then some in Chicago with Levine out, and Zach looked 19 and change. Those numbers probably come down a little bit. Kobe White basically gets replaced. I don't know that he sees much of much playing time this coming year at all. Larry Markkinen, Thad Young, uh, one of those two guys will probably be a part of the front court next to Vooch. I'm guessing it'll be Thad. Daniel Tice signed elsewhere, so uh, that moves, at least for the moment now, Markinen back into a uh, more primary backup big man role. And then uh, Patrick Williams is is your other wing on that team. So, uh, you know, these are not, Thad isn't a high usage guy, um... Williams isn't a high-usage guy. In fact, really low usage this year. And then I'm sure they'll just fill in the periphery here with someone else who isn't a particularly high-usage dude. So uh, take Kobe White's 13 shots and carve those up in a big way. Sato took six. Temple took seven. Those are on the way out. I don't see Lonzo Ball running into much resistance and getting pretty close to this most recent year's fantasy numbers. Probably a small hit, if only because Vooch and Levine are even a little bit more ball-dominant than Ingram and, uh, and Zion Williamson. So maybe an ever-so-slight step back. You might also suggest that Lonzo plays more than this last year. He was in the 75-ish percent range of his team's games played, and that's not going to be enough. That's going to put him below his uh, per-game marker on the total side. So I, I, I think the trade is fine for Lonzo. I don't think it changes the outlook all that much. Ever-so-slight arrow down. And you're going to be handicapping him based on how healthy you think he can stay this year, which from a Roto standpoint, he's safe-ish. He's got a lot of name power. I'm guessing he's probably not going to be a great draft day value this year. And from a total standpoint, I can almost guarantee he's not going to be a draft day value because he can't stay healthy, and he never has. Maybe he turns that around again. We base all of our assessments on what we've seen so far. But what we've seen so far from him in his young career is that he doesn't make it through a season in one piece. I'd be far more inclined to... I mean, I'm going to watch both, so this is sort of a stupid sentence to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you told me I couldn't guess what the ADPs were going to be for Lonzo Ball or Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I would say there's a higher likelihood that Alexander-Walker beats his ADP by totals than Lonzo beating his by totals. On a per-game basis, I actually think it might be the other way around. I, I, I think there's a very real chance that neither one of them beats their ADP on a per-game basis because Ball has a lot of name power, and Alexander Walker is going to be a huge buzz guy. You're going to see every analyst on the planet talking about how what a huge jump he's going to get this year, and he will, but it's going to push him too far. I want to draft him near 100, and I don't think he's fallen that far frankly i'd like to draft him near 115 and i'm certain he's not falling that far ah yes the beauty of the mic- the micropod that was one trade i've fallen far behind now i'm doing a show while more news is breaking oh well i'll catch up at some point uh the next thing that came through the 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 pike or came down the pike is uh that will barton got signed to a two-year, $16 million deal, which is a bit of a head-scratcher, I'll admit. But with the where the Nuggets are coming from, they were in a little bit of a bind. They're not going to have Jamal Murray until at least the middle of next year, and he won't be fully healthy until basically the end of the season. Jokic, we've, they've already talked about how they want to give him some scheduled rest days. Michael Porter Jr. is going to be playing a colossal role on this team. But behind Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., they don't have the other guy to trust anymore. If you go back a couple of seasons, Malik Beasley maybe could have grown into that scoring role. But now you're talking about Facundo Campazzo, who is very much a pass-first point guard. Monte Morris, who is very much the epitome of conservative guard in that he makes... Very few mistakes, but he takes very few chances. He's pretty efficient, but he's not going to lead the charge in any way. They needed someone else that could sort of catch fire on a game-to-game basis. Uh, And I guess that's sort of Aaron Gordon, but he's also a wildly inefficient basketball player. So they just felt, I think, like they needed to have Barton back. And he's coming off a pretty clunky fantasy season, which is a shame because I actually had him as one of our really late Dan vespers old man squad, guys. I thought he would exceed expectations. He did not. 42.5% from the field, 78.5% at the free throw line, 13 points, four boards, three assists. He had these stretches where he caught when lava hot, and then he had other stretches where he was completely useless. But in the scenario now where uh, there's no Jamal Murray for, I mean, I guess most of the season, you have to assume that Barton's going to, if healthy, if healthy, <laughs> that's the, the big if here, have a uh, pretty decent size role on the team. For me, it comes back to whether or not he can, whether or not he can actually get to an efficiency standpoint that, makes any sense from a fantasy standpoint so the, I, I know i'm repeating myself a little bit here because this is the magic of the micropod this is sort of instant reaction stuff and not taking the time to do all of the notes on paper first barton has it in him last year before the shutdown he was at 15 five and six He was good on 45 percent shooting from the field this year uh 13 four and three on Well, two. uh, he played 31 minutes this year to 33 last season, but a lot of stuff was down, 42.5% from the field. Um, Again, the rebounding, the assists, those were both down year over year. The steals were ever so slightly down. But again, if you go back now four years when he was mostly healthy and coming off the bench as sort of a gunner, 12.5 shots per game this last year, 11. It really does feel like with Barton, you're about a shot and a half to two shots per game away from him hitting fantasy value, and it feels attainable with no Jamal Murray. I don't think he's going to go very early in fantasy drafts this year. I'd be pretty surprised because he was bad this, this last season. He wasn't good. He showed flashes, particularly in mid-April, when Jamal Murray was down and before Barton got hurt. Remember, he got hurt near the end of April and didn't really play until the end of the Nuggets playoff run when they were getting beat up by the Suns. But prior to going down, and this is actually really important handicapping as we uh, glance towards the future again, you need to look at basically like the month of April for Will Barton or call it like mid-March to when he got hurt in mid-April. His his fantasy numbers didn't fluctuate that much from a rank standpoint, but you could see the outlines of it. His shots went up a little bit. His free throw percent was actually up a little bit over that stretch. He was at 14 points, two three-pointers, 3.6 boards, 3.7 assists, and one steal. And he was really... Like, one shot a game away from uh, being in that mix. By the way, it's also worth noting that I think Jamal Murray got hurt like a week after that. It's fair to say he still wasn't completely there. But when did Jamal Murray get hurt? Like, April 10th or something around there? Uh, Over the next two weeks? I mean there really were only like 2 weeks where Barton was healthy and Jamal Murray was out. It's it's a weird it's a weird game of tag we're playing here. Uh, but during that stretch from like April 1st to April 15th or so, you saw him take 14 11 16 13 11 11 and then were these weird games where he took 6 and 8 shots. I don't actually fully know what happened in those ball games because they were somewhat competitive. Uh, 10, 19, and then 13 shots before going down. So he was uh, a lot closer. Basically, April 1. I mean, there was a stretch even in March where was taking a bunch of shots, and Jamal Murray was actually in. He's just so inconsistent. And so if you're talking about a roto play, he's not my favorite. If you're talking about a head-to-head play, there's a little bit of something there but he would have to stay healthy and that hasn't really been his thing lately either 56 games this year 58 last year 43 the year before that i'd like to say that there's a fantasy reason to take a chance on will barton but i just don't think there is i don't i don't see a path for him to get inside the top 100 unless his shots per game go up by about 2 per And I don't think they get there with Aaron Gordon around. If you could take one more guy out of the equation on this team, there's a possibility of it. But there's still Jokic. There's still uh, Michael Porter Jr. There's still Aaron Gordon. I know for the Nuggets, they're thinking this is a guy we need as someone who's been here for a while. He can show up a particular position on the floor. But from a fantasy standpoint, I don't think it's going to get there. So I'm just not all that interested. The next one that went down, or at least this is the way that I was retweeting them as they happened, is that the Rockets uh, signed Daniel Tice to a multi-year deal, uh, and this is actually kind of interesting because the Rockets uh, are super duper young, and they brought in a guy who's still relatively young. I know it's like we we've been following Tice for a while from the fantasy standpoint. He's 29. Uh, He came over to the NBA when he already had a few years under his belt. I think he's, what, this was his fourth season in the NBA. So he was already like 25 when he came over uh, or when he uh, made his NBA debut. So he's not a young guy. He's sort of NBA young in that he hasn't been in the league for a super-duper long time. But he steps into a pretty intriguing spot in Houston because we saw... What happened to Kelly O'Linick when he stepped into Houston last year? Now, there's other stuff going on here. olinick got a chance to play a ton uh, because Christian Wood was being rested a boat low. But they also logged some minutes together, those two guys. That's uh, sort of, I mean, that's that's worth pointing out because there's a chance that that type of thing could happen again. Like, uh, for instance, look at a game towards the end of April, Rockets and Bucks. Rockets beat them actually, one forty-three to one thirty-six in a ridiculous, ridiculous basketball game. Um, that I don't, I don't even know how this one happened in real time. But Olenek and Wood played side by side for about thirty minutes of that ball game. They were actually starters together. Olinick at the five, Wood at the four, kind of interchangeable. That was the Kevin Porter fifty-point game, by the way. Uh, Porter, Jayshon Tate, Armani Brooks were the other guys that uh that got the start. Yeah, the Rockets could opt to use Tice exclusively as a backup five behind Christian Wood, but I don't know that, that I don't know that for the Rockets there's a super obvious lineup even if you take well like if you take Tice off the floor and move Wood to the five, how obvious is the starting five on this team? Woods, the five. Who's the four? Kenny Martin Jr.? Okay. Who's the three? Jay Sean Tate? All right. I can get behind that. The two? Kevin Porter Jr., John Wall, starting point guard, Eric Gordon, your backup guard of note, I guess. Daniel House is floating around in there on the wing. But there's really only, I would argue, one big man, and it's Christian Wood. Kenny Martin Jr. can play power forward. Jay Sean Tate can play power forward, but I don't know that that's necessarily their best spot on the floor, and all that is to say, there are going to be some minutes for Daniel Tice, who you guys know, particularly from a Roto standpoint, because he's not going to blow the roof off the building, I like Daniel Tice's fantasy game a lot. He finished up the year in Chicago, Tice, uh top 160 in about 25 minutes per ball game. But of course, some of that uh, you have to tag onto the note that for some reason, his defensive stats just weren't there at all this season. I can't fully, I can't really isolate what happened there because in Boston uh, for 42 games, he was averaging 1.6 combined defensive stats in 24 minutes per game. And he went to Chicago and averaged 1.3 in 25 minutes per game. What do we get out of Tice if he actually gets more playing time than that? What if he gets into the 27-28 range? Does the defensive stat... I mean, are are you talking about a guy now that's going to be at like 1.8 combined defensive stats or 1.5, 1.6? That's actually a pretty big deal. On this young team that's just playing fast and loose, does he see more than... Uh, seven and change shots per game. Does that get up to eight and a half? These are all things. Does he rebound better than six? Can he get to six and a half or seven? He has a pretty easy path to fantasy value if his usage and his playing time just see the smallest bump. He's very close because he's not a bad foul shooter, 73% in his career for a big man. Not horrible, not great. 55% 55% from the field, adds about a half to a one somewhere in the middle, three-quarters of a three-pointer pro ball game, and he's been getting better there. He's not going to just step into Kelly Olenek's role. It's not going to be quite so one-to-one. But I actually think Daniel Tice is at least through this first now like 50 minutes of free agency. More than that. I guess it's been an hour. Uh, he's actually a, a sort of a sneaky winner. Everybody, myself included, was wondering where Kelly Olenek was going to end up. What we forgot to wonder was who was going to take his place. I thought the answer was nobody. I thought they'd bring in some, you know, young guy to get a shot behind Wood or a, a veteran's minimum just to, to lead, lead from the locker room standpoint. But they brought in a, a player who is still looking to uh, make some money, get some playing time. That's a really interesting deal. I don't fully understand it, I'll admit it, cuz you know Rockets are playing in full rebuild mode right now and you know I... also the note that it's a multi-year deal most likely. This is uh this is interesting. This is very interesting. And that's where we're actually going to pause after this one. I'm just going to do the first three. It's a half an hour show. Uh, we'll probably do another one later on today with another few moves. And we'll uh, just keep this up until we're all done. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Please spread the word. This is how we're doing it right now. Uh, we got a lot to cover. I'm Dan Vesperus. This is a Hoopball presentation. I'll talk to you on the next Micropod. Later, everybody.